This morning we're going to be taking a look at a, at a very familiar passage, the, the story of the two on the road to Emmaus found in Luke 24. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles a while, Luke 24, in just a few moments I'll read for us verses 13 through 35. I've titled this message, Where is Your Focus? And I first want to say uh, that living life over the past six weeks um, well, it has been difficult to maintain focus, to, to say the least. Uh, many of us have at times uh, been guilty of a misplaced focus, and, and that's understandably so with the situation in which we find ourselves. So, so we're going to spend a few minutes um, talking about that this morning as we look at this, uh, at this passage in Luke 24 in just a moment. You know, when a person with a worldly goal uh, loses their focus, well, the end result simply is that they don't attain the prize. Um, in a road race, if a runner looks back, uh, they put themselves in danger of tripping and falling. Looking back while running, you're probably not going to win that race. Um, in business, losing focus gives the competition an edge, uh, the opportunity to get to a prospective client first or maybe look more attractive. But what about our spiritual focus? What happens to us Specifically, what happens to our relationship with Christ when our focus is lost or misplaced? So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, and now I'm going to read for us Luke 24, verses 13 through 35. And I'm going to be reading from the NIV, the New International Version. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? 
They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth and power of your word this morning. And we simply ask now that you would speak the truth of your word to our hearts. Help us to understand what you're saying to us and help us to respond in obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing that we notice about these two men is that they weren't going anywhere with purpose. Uh, we don't know who these two men were except that one of them was named Cleopas. Um, we know they were not part of the chosen 11 because when they went back to Jerusalem, it says they found the 11 and those with them in verse 33. So these two were likely not there when Jesus told his disciples that after his crucifixion, he would meet them in Galilee. But doesn't that point out something very interesting for us? The 11 had been told to go to Galilee, yet their unbelief kept them hiding in Jerusalem. Had they obeyed, these other two disciples would not have found them in Jerusalem. And had the 11 believed in Christ's words, they certainly would have been quick to tell others that they should also come to Galilee to see the risen Lord. The point is that unbelief or a misplaced focus doesn't just affect us, it affects others as well. Did these two men have any pressing business in Emmaus? Well, maybe, but not likely. First of all, we get the impression that they were just strolling along, talking gloom and doom to each other as they go down the road. And secondly, um, we get the indication that they were simply going home because verse 28 says that they had a place to stay there. there. There's also the fact that once they recognized him, even though it was late in the day, late in the evening, they jumped up and went all the way back to Jerusalem to find the others. So, so if they did have any pressing business in Emmaus, it is certainly not obvious. It's, it's certainly not evident in the text. The point is this. When, when we lose our focus, when our focus becomes misplaced, we wander without clear purpose or vision, uh, we lose our direction, we accomplish nothing, and we end up being somewhere other than where we should be. And ultimately, the end result is disobedience because of unbelief. And that often also leads to a loss of joy. What, what is the condition of these two individuals? They're sad, right? They were downhearted. Jesus approaches them and asks, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And in verse 17, we read, they stood still, their faces downcast. They were sad. They were disheartened. Again, the disease was contagious. The 11 were in hiding, grieving, and verse 33 refers to those who were with them having their own private pity party. Excuse me. Now, I'm not saying I would have responded any differently. Uh, we know we understand that they were grieving the death of the one that they loved so much. But they had been told outright by Jesus before his death that he would rise on the third day and meet them in Galilee. In addition to this, some who had seen the empty tomb and even Mary, who saw him that morning and spoke to him, had all come running back to the city with this good news, but they still did not believe. Why? Because they had misplaced their focus. When our spiritual focus 
is misplaced, it is usually evident in our speech. What are you discussing together as you walk along was the question that Jesus asked. This was a challenge. Are, are you listening to yourselves, Jesus is saying? Is this faith talking? No. Is this unbelief talking? Yes. Jesus is saying to them, I have taught you spiritual truth and I've told you what would happen and it has now happened and your conversation clearly indicates that not a word of it has taken root. What are you discussing together as you walk along? This is the problem. We can become so preoccupied with the circumstances of life instead of resting in the presence and promises of God. Now, how many of us have spent too much time focused on the circumstances of life lately rather than resting in the promises of God? I, I know there have been more than a few days over the past six weeks that I have. And yes, I understand that it's easy to do so, that this is an unprecedented situation that we're all going through right now, but our focus cannot constantly remain on the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantine 24-7. Yes, we must be informed. Yes, we need to understand. Yes, we need to follow the lead of our civic authorities and obey their instruction. But our spiritual focus must not waver. Doesn't Jesus often need to challenge us with this same question? What are you discussing together? Let's not be so focused on the negative circumstances all around us that we miss the presence and promises of God that are always readily available to us. We, we can clearly see that whatever the focus was of these individuals uh, listed in this chapter, Luke 24, none of them had the right and proper focus. All the disciples are scattered in doubt and perplexity and fear, some running to the tomb, some coming from it, some going to Emmaus, some huddling together in Jerusalem, all of them in various states of mind and various conditions of heart. But the one thing, the one thing that brings them all together again, the one thing that sets their hearts right and unites them and brings them victory is a personal vision of the risen Jesus Christ himself. We've already mentioned Mary. She was at the tomb earlier. She saw Jesus. She recognized him. And she was sent back to tell the others. She's now off rejoicing somewhere. Her life changed forever. Jesus approaches these two on the road. He walks with them. He shares the scriptures with them. He breaks bread with them. And when they finally recognize him, the focus returns. And it is sharper than ever before. They have gone from... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel in verse 21 to were not our hearts burning within us as he talked with us on the road in verse 32. As they later talked to the 11 and the others in Jerusalem, Jesus appears in the room with them. He graciously forgives their weakness. He shows them compassion even in the face of their unbelief, even in the face of their misplaced focus. And this is what we read in verse 39, the words of Jesus. He says, look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. The next thing we see of them is that they, along with more than 100 others, are gathered in the upper room, praying and waiting on the Lord, that's faith, as they had been instructed to do so. That's obedience. By the way, faith and obedience, probably the two biggest keys in maintaining our spiritual focus. Excuse me. <coughs> some 
Some of the individuals were so wrapped up in grief that that was all that they could think about. That's all that they could focus on. Some were so blinded by sadness, they could not recognize him until, they, until he convinced them with his words and his actions. Some were so despondent that they would not believe until they saw him for themselves. But all of them, all of them, once he was significantly present and real to them, all of them were changed forever. They regained their spiritual focus and they went out and they turned the world upside down. Focus. This is why Paul wrote in Philippians 3, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Let us keep our focus on Jesus himself and experience the presence and promises of God that only he can offer to us. As we transition into communion this morning, I've asked Tanya to come and sing a song. This song is entitled, I Look to You. So as she sings this song for us this morning, let's prepare to receive communion together. Tanya, would you come? God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. Give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. I will love you, Lord, my shield. The Communion Supper, instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, is a sacrament which proclaims his life, his sufferings, his sacrificial death and resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. It shows forth the Lord's death until his return. The Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. It is to be, to be received in reverent appreciation and gratefulness for the work of Christ. 
all those who are truly repentant, forsaking their sins and believing in Christ for salvation, are invited to participate in the death and resurrection of Christ. We come to the table that we may be renewed in life and salvation and be made one by the Spirit. In unity with the church, we confess our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Amen. Christ will come again. Amen. And so let us pray. Holy God, we gather at this your table in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who by your Spirit was anointed to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Christ healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners, and established the new covenant for forgiveness of sins. We live in the hope of his coming again. And so we gather as the body of Christ to offer ourselves to you in praise and thanksgiving. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these your gifts. Make them by the power of your Holy Spirit to be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. In the same way, he took the cup and shared that it was his blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's receive the elements together this morning. The body of Christ broken for you and for me. Let us take and eat together and be thankful. In the blood of Christ, shed for you and for me, for the forgiveness of sins, let us drink together and be thankful. Let us pray. Father God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make us one in Christ, one with each other, and one in the ministry of Christ to all the world, until Jesus comes in final victory. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, put you together, spirit and soul, body and mind, and make you fit for the coming of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The God who calls you is completely dependable and faithful, and he will do this. And may the peace of Christ guard your hearts. Amen.